Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of NG Meets. This week's guest is Debbie Clark of Debbie Doodah. Debbie is a business strategist, coach and a helper of entrepreneurs uh, across Nottinghamshire and beyond. And she's an award-winning uh, businesswoman who's won uh, numerous awards over the last couple of weeks, years for her fantastic work. So it was great to be able to talk to Debbie about the uh, route to running her own business and why that was uh, the right way for her. We talked about, you know, the business world. We talked about social media and the role that plays in it. And obviously, we also talked about the impact that the coronavirus has had on the business world and what that might mean uh, moving forward as we look at things like, you know, more more. Uh, tele meetings, video meetings and conferences, more homework and obviously that's a big thing at the moment with the suggestions that the government are going to be pushing to get people back into offices as many people still work uh, from home businesses obviously will be looking at looking at it from a different point of view and we may see an increase in people working from home uh, at least part of the time so that's going to be an interesting road ahead and uh, some very interesting points that uh, Debbie had to make on that. Uh, obviously, I hope you're all staying safe. It's it seems to be moving forward. I'm sure there's many of you listening that are getting ready to send uh, your kids back to school if they're not already going back. I know mine are going back over the next week or so, and that obviously for many people I think will open uh, the, the potential to to return to offices. Um, one of the key reasons people haven't been able to obviously is having to be at home looking after children. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, there's a lot of lot of questions around the the whole school issue, as there is over everything else. But hopefully, you're all staying safe, um, following the guidelines, unlike the uh, absolute plethora of what seem to be uh, nut jobs that we're seeing at the moment marching on uh, cities across the world. But there you go; these kind of things always bring out those people. Uh, but it's, it's been a strange year and it's been uh, very worrying for us all. I'm sure many of you listening are, are still as worried as I am moving forward. Uh, but it's also, you know, it's been interesting taking the podcast uh, remote as it is, recording episodes from Zoom has offered a different sort of feeling to the podcast. But it's also obviously been very, very interesting that people we spoke to and uh, and talked about the impact that the coronavirus has had. You know, everybody's had a different experience. And talking to people from different walks of life, different industries, communities, uh, you know, different groups, and the impact it's had on them. And while it's something that's impacted us all, obviously, the impact can be very different for many people or for every person, you know. So uh, this, again, another fantastic chat. It was it was great to speak to somebody. Uh, this is, you know, I've, I've not spoken to somebody from the sort of the, the business consultancy world. It's great to get that insight and to, you know, sort of the insight there moving forward and what it might mean as we come out of this virus moving forward. Uh, if you want to uh, check out Debbie's work, you can do so. Her website is debbiedoodar.co.uk. And she's also quite prominent on Twitter at debbiedoodar. As I said, she's, you know, she's won numerous awards. She's got a fantastic uh, business toolkit that her and a collaborator is made in conjunction with the University of Nottingham. You can find out more about that on her website. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, enjoy this episode and find out a little bit more about 
Debbie Doodah and what, what she does. And, you know, maybe if you are a small business or an entrepreneur, uh, Debbie might just be the person for you. So this is NG Meets, Debbie Clark of Debbie Doodah. <music> Thank you everybody for listening in. Today's guest is Debbie Clark from Debbie Doodah and Debbie is a, uh, I believe it's a, a business strategist. Is that the correct term for it? Yeah, well I think like I'm mostly coaching but I think business coaching gets a bad rap sometimes so let's stick with business strategist. That kind of feels more more formal. Excellent and, and how did you get started in that field then? Because I think it was something you started up yourself wasn't it after sort of time out of work yeah sure so I've been running my own business since 2013 um and I uh when I first started I started a digital marketing agent agency I kind of fell into starting a business um prior to that I was a single mum and I'd had cancer and I hadn't worked for five years so I've been on benefits for five years and then um, a lady I'd worked with kind of in my working life before that she um, was setting up a social enterprise with a load of money from the city council so we were kind of setting up a brand new business and she asked me if I would come and help her set it up so I spent two years kind of setting up this new business and got to the point where I was a bit like oh I've done that now Um, and there was a similar social enterprise starting up in Camden so I went and helped them set up their social enterprise and then it just kind of happened where people were like oh there was another charity in Camden they were like oh could you help us with this new thing called social media do you know anything about Twitter I said yes I know everything about Twitter and then went home and opened my Twitter account and watched loads of videos and became the Twitter expert and it just kind of started from there really uh I, you know, being a single mum and, and being poorly for so long, I knew that I wanted a different lifestyle. Working for somebody else doesn't really suit me. Um, I've been sacked multiple times um, in my life. I think about eight times I've lost a job. Um, and so I think I'm a bit maverick and running my own business suits me. And I also wanted more time at home with my daughter um, to kind of be able to walk her to school or pick her up from school. And it was, it didn't really feel like working for somebody else would fit. So once I tasted the freelance life, I really didn't want to go back. Uh, so I kind of created an agency and I pulled some freelancers around me and I started uh, getting bigger contracts with like Nottingham City Council and there's some char- local charities here. And then really the business coach started because people kept asking me to teach them things uh, like, Debbie, could you just teach me how to do this? Or how do you do Facebook? Or can you show me how to do Twitter? Um, and so I started teaching people how to do stuff and they were paying me for it. And I thought, oh, this is much more interesting for me, like empowering people to do it for themselves than actually doing it for people. And that's how the coaching started. So I sort of was a little bit of me pushing stuff and and grabbing opportunities, but also just seeing where the wind took me and uh, 
saying yes to things and, and trying things out. So that's kind of how I got to where I am now, kind of launching Debbie Duda, which I think was like 2016. So I've been Debbie Duda for four years now. Yeah. Excellent. So like you say, it was a lot of, um, I guess a lot of it came down to just taking that opportunity and taking that chance and not being afraid. Yeah, it. totally. It is. It is that. And also like having in the back of your head, like if it, if it looked like this, like if, my perfect day looked like this that would be great so kind of being aware of what good looks like but not really over engineering how to get there and then just sort of opportunities presenting themselves that kind of took you there and yeah being brave so it's like grabbing the opportunities but also being a a bit mindful about where you're going and what what success looks like i think those two things combined um have served me really well Excellent. And I noticed, um, like looking at your site, and obviously, like you say, a lot of you do a lot involving social media and search engine optimization and things like that. But obviously, that I imagine is such a fast-paced world as we know the the online world. So you then obviously there's that mission, then you've got to keep on top of everything because we see the speed at which everything changes online is just phenomenal. Uh, yes and no. Like the fundamentals of good marketing have always stayed the same. Like understand who your customer is, understand the problem that they have and understand where they want to get to and then build relationships with them and kind of meet them where they are and be good at storytelling and all that stuff. Like that's the fundamentals of marketing. Have a good product, price it well. Um, social media is just a tool. It's kind of a new tool that you can use to reach people. Um, and it does change all the time. Like Instagram didn't exist when I first started and Twitter was the hot new thing that everybody was using. Like, and if I try and teach Twitter now, it gets a bit groany and I think I love Twitter, you know, it's a really good tool uh, to build relationships, but I tend to not jump on the bandwagon of things too quickly. Um, I can't remember what it was. There was something where everybody went live and you could like, go onto your phone and you could just like hit somewhere in the world then you could just beam in and be in people's living rooms it was kind of mental I can't remember what it's called now it's gone um that that went and gone everybody spent time doing that I think like TikTok's going to disappear because Instagram stories has just created reels and they're just going to trample over that piece of competition Snapchat disappeared because Instagram trampled all over that competition so while things do change the fundamentals stay the same and if you don't I'm not like a tech junkie. I'm more, I use social, I'm really interested in social media about society and community and how we can collaborate and how we can have conversations with people on a wider scale. Um, So I don't get so excited about the tech stuff. I think if I did, I'd wear myself out because you're right. Buttons change, things change, bits move over here. For me, it's just a tool um, and I think because I see it that way, it doesn't, it doesn't wear me out. But I think if you're really into tech, then it's super exciting uh, because there are new bells and whistles kind of arriving all the time. So, yeah, it's kind of a moving landscape, but the fundamentals are always there. Um, and they're the bits that you need as a business. You know, yeah. they're the, the, the things that you need. Understand your customer and have a great product. Um, yeah. And the I think the main bits stay. It's interesting. Like I said, when you look at, at the sort of, the history of, of marketing and business and I think we sometimes forget that in terms of that the whole internet social media is, on, is still in, in its infancy 
he's very young and obviously um I know you mentioned Twitter and it used to like but obviously that gets a very bad rep. Um because obviously it's it is a platform that allows people to get away with things that they wouldn't do in public to a degree and there's a, a, a non anonymity and and obviously certain characters that use it for, for sharing um hatred and things like that. But it like he's still young and I think we're still as a society getting to grips with how best to use these new tools. And you talk about business there and we've seen there's plenty of examples online of business that have used social media and Twitter brilliantly. And, you know, people that haven't in particular when they try and do things like polls and um, ask, send in your question and, you know, they just get inundated with troll responses uh, and things like that. So it's so difficult at the moment. I think it's not really found its place properly. Um, well, so young. like, I think, like, polls and asking questions is a great way to use social media. You need to know who your audience is. Like, some businesses do that to great effect. Um, yeah, it is. It, it, you're right. It is a really new medium. And it's kind of changing the face of, of us as a society yeah. and how we access news and how we talk to each other and how we view ourselves, you know, like self-esteem and that it's, can be really linked to, you know, comparison of, of Instagram kind of can spiral out of control. Um, and politically, it's a nightmare. I don't know if I'm allowed yeah. to swear on your podcast, so I held myself back there. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I, I teach social media, you know, I'm, I'm a lecturer at university, I teach at a number of universities. So, you know, and I teach a lot of my clients how to use it effectively, like how to use, you know, Facebook ads and Instagram ads, but it is very problematic. Uh, you know, like Reuters has called Facebook a hate book and the UN has said that they're partially responsible for the mass genocide and rape of people in Rohingya. So it can be used for massive nefarious uh, purposes. Um, and yeah, I think as society, we are kind of grappling with what is its use? How do we use it? And where I think the people who run social media, I don't know if they really care, but at the moment there's like thousands of businesses boycotting Facebook and Instagram yeah. ads, and they've started to change their policy on allowing hate speech on their platforms. So time, time will, time will tell. Um, but it, it is, it, yeah, they, they, they have a lot of power, uh, these platforms more than newspapers, more than governments in some instance. So, um, yeah, time will tell. We're going to keep watching, aren't we? And see what yes. happens. And I think that that's key. Like you say, they, I think nobody realized or I think probably was impossible to predict just how powerful these groups would become. Yeah. With complete what real at the moment really lack of accountability. And like you said, that's something at the moment that I think is a big discussion is who is responsible um for controlling the kind of things. And you know, for a long time, Twitter and things like they've tried to sort of say, well, you know, we're just letting people post, it's not our fault what they post. And I think that seems to be changing a bit. Um, but again, we're we're like you say time will tell and, and money talks obviously uh, yeah above all else <laughs> money does talk above all else which is a shame isn't it like yeah. you would like people to have values uh 
in themselves, just core fundamental values of wanting to make the world a better place, but not everybody's cut from the same cloth, are they? And, and people have different things that kind of turn them on. Um, but it's an interesting place to, to work in the digital uh, sphere, um, looking at changing, adapting, what it does to us. Um, yeah, so I have a love-hate relationship with it. You know, it, it, it means that people like me can create businesses. You know, the, the explosion of, of small entrepreneurs has been massive over the past 10 years. Like so many people can start businesses now. And rather than having like a bricks and mortar store like you'd have in the 80s or 90s and just crush your fingers and hope somebody walked past the front of it or saw a random ad in the not in the evening post, you know, you can get into people's homes now and on their phones and, and be saying here this is what I do here I am come and check me out buy my stuff um so it's given enormous freedom to so many people across the world to just launch businesses you know if you've got a phone and an idea you know you can you can see if you can make it happen that that's kind of amazing to me it's such it's such freedom oh yeah it's incredible I mean this podcast wouldn't exist without um, the internet and you know most of the people I talk to come through social media Um, so it offers and all of the promotion (laughs) that really goes through social media as well so it offers opportunities that were like you say were well beyond people without a a solid checkbook generally I mean obviously I know that's getting more and more difficult particularly on places like Facebook it's getting more difficult to spread word without investment but still it's you know it's connecting the world like nothing we've ever known yeah um, obviously you've had uh, I think you said Debbie Duda the website has been running for about four years I think you said yeah. 2016 and uh, looking at it it's clearly gone very well in the last couple of years uh, you've had quite a lot of success awards wise yeah um, I've, been um, a, I've been a lucky lady <laughs> so, well I've been I think uh, luck obviously plays a part in everything but I think if, you, if you're winning awards it's, it's a lot more it comes down to a lot more than luck yeah hard um, hard work and graft yeah. <laughs> yeah and uh and clearly offering something special i guess as well because um people are obviously coming to and using your services and it's working for them yeah um, it's really lovely when you work with somebody because i tend to work with people kind of long term like at least at the shortest four months four to six months and i've had some clients that i've been working with for nearly four years nearly the whole time that I've been doing that and we'll meet monthly and and keep working on their business and it's it's a real privilege to be part of somebody's success and to see them grow and expand and add more value to people that they work with and see their businesses you know become more successful and profitable it's a really lovely job to have and also what's really important to me is that people are happy um it's not kind of profit for profit's sake it's like how do we have more time or what's important to us as business owners and how do we have a better life balance and how do we create things that serve us because sometimes when you're running a business you can end up with it running you almost in a way yeah like ah i'm going to bed at midnight and i'm waking up at 3 a.m you know i have clients that are like you know hardly any sleep and working really hard and it's trying to unpick all that stuff and help them create something that's sustainable like profitable and sustainable but not just sustainable for money like sustainable for ourselves you know so we're not burning ourselves out because it's a massive thing and i think the pressure when you run a business um is intense and you're putting it all on yourself so 
yeah I, I love the work that I do when I get off a, a call with a client I'm like yeah this is why I do what I do it's fantastic I love it like I get kind of high uh, off it so I've definitely ended up in the right place uh, which is good isn't it at 40 odd to be like yes I found the thing that I'm good at and I like doing it's great well especially when you when you talked earlier on about um sort of past jobs and how uh, unhappy you're clearly being in them so the difference not just from a working point of view but obviously that has an impact on on your life as a whole and your mental health and and everything around that it it goes way beyond just what you do as a job doesn't it yeah it does i think like you know we need to find a sense of purpose don't we in life and we need to feel that we're useful in some way and that we can make an impact however you know even if it's just it doesn't need to be a massive impact you know you don't need to be i don't know winning I don't know what's the oh, science awards, big science awards. Oh, Nobel Prize. <laughs> Nobel Prize. You don't need yeah. to. Be, that's the thing. You don't need to be winning. You know, if you can just make a few people have a slightly better time, then then you're a winner, aren't you? And I think that's that's the point. Is just being able to find your thing and your place in life. And some people, you know, wake up and they're like, my partner. Um, is an artist and he just draws and his you know he runs his own company and they do concept art for games and he just draws all the time draws and draws and draws and draws and like there's never been any question of what he wanted to do and i you know sometimes i'm quite jealous of him yeah. in that fact that it was just like from the minute he could pick up a pencil and be drawing that's all he's been doing and it's like some some of us us mere mortals it takes a while for us to discover or, or go well I'm good at this and I'm good at this and I'm good at this how can I put those things together that's kind of what I've done is I've tried different things out and been good at them but it's really bringing all of your skills together in one place and then you're like yes it's like a, finding that missing piece of the jigsaw yeah and I guess it's like I say people within uh, in the creative world you know, like say art, oh, music, that they do tend, it's something they tend to have always wanted to do. But I guess yeah. it's different. Like you say, you've found something now that you really love, but it's not something that obviously you would imagine maybe as a youngster. So it's like you say, it's one of those things that you, you've you worked your way through and put the bits together and suddenly you find out oh, this is what it is. Yeah. But it's not, yeah. and it's not that obvious thing like creative product, or, you know, creative industries can you know, they're all sort of alluring, aren't they? And everyone knows what they are sort of thing. Yeah, I didn't know. I don't know anybody who ran businesses when I was younger. Um, I didn't even know that Nottingham existed because I come from the South. So I've ended up doing a job I didn't know existed in a place I didn't know existed. <laughs> it's kind of interesting how, you know, the life life maps out for you. But I think it's back to that thing at the beginning, isn't it? Of trying to, um, of just of just being like a willow, you know, you've got roots, but you're kind of bendy and you can bend with the breeze and you can be a bit, you know, I'll try things out. And I think, you know, all, all these sackings, I mean, some of them were definitely my fault. Like, you know, I've not always been the most well-behaved um, young lady. Uh, and some have been, you know, feeling frustrated with people who were bullies. And, you know, I famously, uh, I've mentioned a number of times, I, I lobbed a stapler at one of my boss's heads uh, and it exploded in the wall next to me. And then he, I got marched off the premises. Uh, but he was a sexist, horrible bully. And, you know, I, I felt like he deserved that. So the thing is, when you run your own business, you can choose who you work with. 
the power like just no i don't want to work with you because you don't fit my values or i don't think you're a very nice person or the thing that you're doing i don't get or i don't like it and it's it's really it really suits uh, me because i'm quite um what's the word uh, not disruptive but uh <laughs> a bit rebellious i think okay yeah rebellious and a bit naughty and don't like being told what to do uh so for me this is perfect i get to tell other people what to do you know it's really lovely lecturing at the university and stuff and being able to help those guys out and and you know show them a different way of doing things um slightly crazy lecture jumping them down swearing a little bit but they seem to enjoy it so it's the main thing isn't it <laughs> definitely yeah and i think in in what you do obviously you're you go into and help and work with businesses and your your i guess one of your roles is to bring an outside looking because it's when you're entrenched in a business it can be very difficult to yes. to take a wider view of, of something because it's a bit like in life isn't it in, in your own family and things like that it'd be very difficult to realize you know when you're struggling when you're in a rut or whatever because mm -hmm. you're entrenched in it and it needs that person so i guess your sort of rebellious personality and sort of out of the box sort of mentality probably plays perfectly into that because you come in and you you've got viewpoints and observations and, and ideas that they just wouldn't even cross their mind without that outside person coming in yeah i think that i think yeah i think it is that and i think we probably all need outside influences at times don't we like you said even with yeah. your family and your relationships and in your business like, it's really difficult to see the wood for the trees isn't it or just what am i supposed to do <laughs> what's the best option out of all these options or i just can't see any option you know it can be it can be quite a lonely place you know being a human let alone running a business on your own, especially if you've got mouths to feed with that yeah. business, you know, there's a lot of pressure. So yeah, part of my job is just listening, listening and thinking. And for me, it's about finding simple strategies, like unpick, because I think as humans, we make things overly complicated. So we're like adding this bit on and make this thing and da, 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 before we know it, it's like a complex mess. And we're like, how did I get to this point? So trying to unpick all those bits and just make really simple strategies that bring everything back down to a level like simplicity is key um, in the work that I do with people. I, I want them to, I want to give them things that they can go away and kind of start doing straight away. Um, so yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, there is, it's kind of like we're almost scared of simplifying things, aren't we? In, in, a, in a sense like that it just seems like that shouldn't work. So like you say, we, we then, we then just do little bits and pieces along that in the long run actually just make things far too complicated when we should have just at the point when there was a problem or when it was broke, we should have just looked at it and almost started not necessarily from scratch, but wound it back. But mm -hmm. there's a fear. I think there's a, there's a fear that that maybe that feels like you've failed and obviously nobody likes that feeling, despite the fact that it can often be the best. Uh, you know realizing you fail can obviously sometimes be the best step forward but we yeah. don't like to so we try and patch things almost rather than admit that something's not working or needs you know needs starting again like you say we we, we overcomplicate it like you say maybe there's something that well if it's this simple it can't be right yeah <laughs> like ah like 
it's almost like to be paid or to have somebody say that's a job well done it's got to have felt like it's been arduous mm. and hard work like we're told all these lies aren't we at school like you must work hard like work hard equals a good job or good pay or a nice house or you know you have to work hard to do all this stuff and then when you're like oh I can do it and it's not hard work and I can still have a nice life and earn money it's kind of an odd thing for people to get their head around that actually it doesn't need to be traumatic and difficult and overly complicated it can just be as simple as you know however you make it you know sometimes the best dinners are simple aren't they you know yeah. pasta and a tomato sauce and a bit of garlic bang like amazing it doesn't have to be super complicated but yeah we i think we think that if we make it really complicated um then somehow we've done a really good job yes definitely definitely um one of the awards you won was i think it was the was it the uh, ingenuity 19 award yes for yeah. the, the my business Huawei toolkit which is, am I right in thinking that was something you did with the university? Yes, yeah, so. it's a toolkit that um, I created with the university and I created it with two other uh, ladies, um, Isabel O'Neill um, and a lady called Alex who, um, run, who designed my website. Um, and so the three of us created this toolkit and the idea behind it was Isabel O'Neill works at the university and um, so she's a lecturer and she did a piece of research on female entrepreneurship and found that women didn't particularly feel like they owned that space like they felt like they were kind of faking it so they made it a little bit um, that they didn't feel valid so we created we came together and we created the toolkit to help people build their business their way which is kind of in the title and it's got a series of tools within it around like defining your version of success um or you know working out who's in your support network or defining your pitch um and so we created that toolkit and we the nottingham university does a thing called ingenuity each year where it create uh, gives out awards for um, ingenious business ideas I suppose you might say and we won an award and with the award money we um, run a series of workshops with women in Nottingham who uh, are kind of on the bread line like women that are on the poverty line um, and went through the toolkit with them and helped them define their business ideas and start up their own businesses so it was super rewarding to like win that award and then get to do that piece of work uh, with the toolkit as well excellent fantastic and i know i think from looking at your you know on twitter and on your website things obviously uh, working with female on, entrepreneurs is a key part of what you do and obviously you, you also do a podcast uh, involved yes. in that yeah so, uh, the uh, the podcast is called women who create um and i run it with another lady called amy phipps and in that we we're either chatting <laughs> it, yeah. we we wanted to create this um podcast because we want it to feel like you were just having a cup of tea with us so come and have a cup of tea with us and we'll have a chat um and then we also interview other creative female entrepreneurs and that's been a real joy to just spend time with another woman and just chat to these other amazing women who are doing who are doing fantastic stuff yeah i am really passionate about supporting female entrepreneurs i think it's because you know being a mother myself and you know being on benefits i'm i want women to have access to their own income this idea of virginia wolf's a room of our own like 
for women to be creative or men to be creative too you need we need our own income and we need our own room and if we can have two of those things then that you know everything else starts to become a little bit easier but I do really enjoy working with men as well I've just started working with a new client um and it's 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 interesting men do things in slightly different ways but they have the same problems um so i you know i i like i like working with both actually and i thought oh you know the men that i have worked with i've really i've really enjoyed working with but i i do i am a i do want you know equality and i am a feminist and you know i do bang that drum quite a bit but who doesn't want us all to be equal like i don't you know i don't understand why anybody wants to be at the top of the tree the world is much better when we're working together i think yeah, I think um, there's a there's a problem that there's certain groups of people that that uh, are quite happy with where they are and don't <laughs> yeah, want anyone else up there, is it? <laughs> um, and I think obviously things are improving, but I think you only have to look at, you know, we look at the the wage gap still, and we yes. look. You only have to look at the you know the boardrooms of the you know the F, the FTSE 100 companies mm-hmm. to know that there's still a long way to go, and even in like you say entrepreneurs i think if you look at the kind of entrepreneurs that are in the spotlight it's very heavily male isn't it very few sort of yeah. well-known female entrepreneurs um, yeah i think that's true although i think as i'm in the female entrepreneur world i'm mostly you know. seeing women all the time so it's really difficult to gauge because you you just sort of i'm in my own little social media bubble yeah. just showing me things that i like and i i see more of that all the time there is a saying i don't know if it's true that there are more um, people whose name is John in the FTSE 100 than who uh, are women. Yeah, uh, I've definitely you know, heard that one. kind of yeah. shocking, isn't it, when you look at that? And also, I think it's not just, it's, you know, the equality thing. Look what's happening with Black Lives Matter. Mm. And, you know, there's very few um, black people or Asian people that are of standing that people can look up to and go, oh, look, they're doing it. And I think that's it, isn't it? It's about having role models for our children that are women, that are black, that are brown, that we can go, oh, well, if they're doing it, I can do it. And if if you don't see a good diversity at the top of the tree, it's really difficult for the next generation to imagine themselves there. So I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done around all that stuff. and it's great that people are talking about it more now and looking at it and, you know, maybe looking at their boardroom and thinking, oh, this is a bit odd, isn't it? We're all men, you know, and probably yeah. all white men. Yes. You know, most definitely, you know, generally, or, or they'll have like one person that isn't a white man in there to make them feel like it's yeah. balanced. But that's not enough, is it? So more work to be done there, too. Like it's a work in progress, this humanity thing, isn't it? I yeah. Think we should have got it right by 2020. Well, but... Yeah, and sometimes you wonder which way it's going, yeah. don't you? I mean, you look at the people in in charge in some of the countries at the minute. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, that um, was problematic. It's interesting what you said, actually, there as well, because I've, um, we've had sort of, you know, we've had a, a group on uh, Next Gen Movement who were responsible for the Black Lives Matter protest in Nottingham earlier this year. And, and, various other groups. and one of the things that, oft, that comes up a lot um, is is representation, yeah. as, you, as you mentioned there, and the importance of being able to see somebody who you can identify with in these positions, which you talked about there. So it's not just about, like, it's not just about uh, the equality of it, which is the key, is key, obviously, but it is about, like I said, the next generation need to see and feel that those paths are open to them going yeah. through all the way and this goes all the way through the 
you know, the school system, the university system, into the jobs market. And we know that there's still an issue, both with sexism and racism. And, this, you know, there's still issues with homophobia in that, in, 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 the, in the world as a whole. So we, we've yeah. still got a way to go. But it's good that people are out there. There do seem to be more people um, out there trying to make a difference, at least, it feels like. Yeah, and I think, I think um, you know, if you work at a business and it seems like there's loads of white men at the top, maybe ask why. Mm. Like, start making people feel slightly uncomfortable. And, uh, and then they'll, and they'll change things, won't they? Because it's been too comfortable for too long. So, and, and why would people give up power when they've yes, got it? Yes, exactly. You know, there's, a, there's always a, more money, more success, more status, and they're up there at the top, aren't they? They're not going to give it away easily but i think the the you know one of the things that we can do is support each other and choose where we spend um pounds you know that's a vote every time you spend money it's a vote isn't it for something yeah. that you believe in and i think we have power uh, to make the world a better place um and the more that we believe that the more power we'll have and i think the world's gone crazy in 2020 yeah. uh it's the roaring 20s, but in a slightly different way. I was imagining yeah. that we'd be partying and stuff, <laughs> you know, and doing the Charleston. And it's kind of, it's roaring in a different sense, yeah. isn't it? But You can do that just on your own. <laughs> <laughs> just dancing around doing the Charleston. But maybe some good will come out of all of this madness. Like, that's what we've got to hold on to, haven't we? To feel okay in it is that maybe we'll come out the other side and the world will be better. Um, and, the, and things will be a bit more equal. That That's what I'm holding on to the threads. Yes, I've, I've gone very up and down on how I feel like early on I was I was very strongly starting to feel that way you know when we were seeing the way communities were coming together and people you know were, were doing shopping for their neighbours and you know despite the fact nobody could actually get go near each other physically yeah it almost felt as a that communities were actually closer than you know people talk to neighbours shopping for neighbours they'd never spoken to despite living there for yeah so I, but then it was kind of like then we saw what happened when we had the the black lives matters protest and some of the reaction to that and it was very despondent that some of some of the sort of angry response i mean and i know we would have got that whatever whenever it happened but it kind of reminds you that there's still a lot you say there's still a long way to go and not everyone's walking in the same direction no and everybody's experience is different as well it's like the coronavirus isn't it nobody's yeah. had the same thing people people have had different stuff going on and we're not all having the same we're not have, having the same experience but i think maybe we need some you know shared values or, or a point where we're like this is what we're working towards and we're, and we're going to do this and i don't know you can't argue with people who don't have the same opinion with you. It just ends up people just get louder and louder. Yeah. It's like, uh, maybe you need to kill people with love. I don't know <laughs> how we, how we, you know, how we do it. Um, but I, you know, I, I was, a, I loved protesting when I was a teenager, <laughs> like, you know, around the turn of the century, if we were all protesting against the Iraq war yeah. and it felt like, Oh, we were doing something and we had a voice, but then, 
they did it anyway. <laughs> then it felt really like, ah, oh, we did all that marching, coming together and meetings and drawing signs. And it, you know, but at least for me as a protester, it felt like well, at least the world can see that we all don't yeah. agree with this policy. At least there's something that goes out that says we don't all kind of feel the same way. Um, but yeah, we need to keep the momentum, don't we? We need to keep yes. like questioning the status quo and, and and pushing for change it's really important i think that's like you said that's key at the minute isn't it it's it's, it's keeping the momentum going particularly at a time like now when obviously one particular thing is overshadowing everything else which causes the virus yeah but also news is so flippant isn't it it's like and oh everybody's forgotten yeah. that and you're on to something else i mean obviously the corona's just been the top line thing forever um but before that it was brexit and brexit got so boring yeah. and it was like can they stop talking about brexit but who knew that the quest to stop talking about brexit would be a pandemic yeah like, just like one long ending story that never ends like with another one straight away afterwards okay. so Maybe we shouldn't have been wishing so much to have got rid of yeah. the Brexit story. When you it just at, got replaced with another madness. When you look at it like that, now I'm slightly worried about what's what's next year. <laughs> so, no. oh, but, I try not to read the news so much. I try I try not to read, I, you know, yeah. Oh, ugh, you can't control it, can you? You can't control it. No. So just be nice to your neighbours, like you said. So obviously we've... It's cropped up a couple of times in the mentions there, and, and you know everybody's fully aware of it. But the coronavirus has obviously had a massive impact on the entire world, and it's as we said, it's impacted everybody in different ways, and uh, obviously yourself included. So, what has that? What kind of impact has that had on yourself? But also, obviously, as somebody that works with businesses, yeah. I imagine you've had to adapt. Your, your work and advice as well to take into consideration dealing with a pandemic that probably was something that was never even thought about previously. No, it wasn't really on anybody's risk assessment, If even if they had one. <laughs> Most small businesses don't even have a risk assessment, let alone having figured a pandemic in it. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting because there's been some businesses that have absolutely thrived and grown and been able to capitalise on what's happening, you know, not in a nefarious way, but, you know, it's it's gone in their favour. And there's some businesses that really just haven't been able to adapt because of the products or the way that they communicate with people. But definitely what's ha been happening is, you know, we're doing this more, we're Zooming, people are having to work from home and the online world has grown exponentially compared to that kind of face-to-face -face or retail or, you know, going for meetings. Um, I, I sometimes wonder if the world was going this way anyway, you know, especially like retail and more people buying online and, and more people doing stuff. You know, why, why, why are people flying to France for a two hour meeting and then flying back? We've now realized that we can do it, you know, like this on Zoom and, and it's fine. Um, so I wonder if it's accelerated what might have happened anyway, but caught quite a few businesses um, off guard. For my own business, it kind of did mean an immediate drop in income because um, some of the workshops that I ran just had to be cancelled straight away and we refigured you know with the creative quarter in nottingham how we would run them and eventually they went online some clients were just like I i'm cancelling you know 
it's terrifying, isn't it? You think my husband might like lose his job or my business is uncertain, you know, paying for something like business coaching doesn't feel like it's, you know, this is the thing that's going to make or break. And, you know, sometimes it is. So, you know, maybe you should serve your business coach, but I totally get that people want to conserve their pennies, but it's kind of come back. The business has come back and um, it's, it, it stopped me running around everywhere, which was brilliant because I was very tired. I remember just about before the lockdown going um, to a charity event for a, like a, a women's charity um, and just being so tired, but having to feel like I, I wanted to be there to show up. And I was doing loads of lecturing at the time and running from things. And then that happened. And it was like, oh, I'm being forced to stay at home. It kind of felt like a bit of a gift. Like I have to pause now and maybe reconsider did I need to be that busy? Like, was there a different way of doing things? Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's been, I think it's been interesting. Um, and it's really, I really feel for businesses who couldn't continue. Like one of my clients runs a gin bar, like a horse box gin bar, and she doesn't have a license to sell gin anywhere. She can only get a license if it's a specific venue. So it, her business just stopped. You know, where in, in Sherwood, there's a, a place uh, like a wine bar and they went to delivering wine bottles and they said their business was more successful than it was as a wine bar. So some people were forced to do things that they thought might have been in their two, three, four year plan. And that has worked really well for them. And, and I think as entrepreneurs, we have to adapt. Part of being an entrepreneur is being adaptable and and grabbing opportunities and, and and looking at things slightly differently and if what you were doing before doesn't work you can spend a little bit of time crying about it but then you've got to change it up haven't you like if this doesn't work now if it's not going to put bread on the table i need to do something different and as heartbreaking as that is it's it's part of running a business and it's just the what can i do now element of it the, the pivot the famous pivot, everybody pivoting. So it's been an interesting time in business. Yeah, it's, I think one of the one of the things I look at is, you know, there's that thing, isn't there, that sort of adversity breeds innovation. Yeah. You know, we've seen, you know, we came out of the war and that's how we ended up with the National Health Service. And we've seen, I've, I've seen some fantastic innovative things go on during this time in terms of, like you said, a lot more online uh, events uh, conferences and things like that uh, to you know people putting on like online festivals that have been incredible yeah um you know so there is that but obviously i think i think part of the problem was just the speed of it you know suddenly we were like told on one day that you know the country was going on lockdown the next day by the end of that week the schools were closed which is something that no one like you know six months ago the idea that schools would close for half a year just sounds ludicrous beyond like there being a world war or something so it's just, i think it's i think it's the speed of it you know although by the time it, you know i know we all knew by the time that a lockdown was coming yeah so you know from this virus not being really existent in december to a country on full lockdown by march is quite fast <laughs> Yeah, it's really fast, isn't it? But the interesting thing is, I think that um, it could be somebody's worst case scenario. You know, oh my God, my business might half, I'm going to have my children in the house all the time. Like if somebody told us that that was going to happen, 
like the anxiety would have gone mm. through the roof but it was almost like snap oh we just got to deal with it now ah you know a little bit of crying like i remember crying a lot like ah and then looking at the death figures and then oh, people yeah. are dying and then crying and then just feeling really helpless and then i couldn't stop sobbing and then you go kind of go through that for three weeks or a month and then you're like oh okay what now you know well i think if there had been a longer build-up maybe we'd have been going insane <laughs> like <laughs> sometimes that snap thing is easier than having warning because you're you we think about our anxiety levels can go through the roof we 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 think about the worst case scenario but generally when we get there it's not as bad as we think it would have been yeah you know remember when you're like first dumped when you're a teenager you think it's going to be awful you're going <laughs> to like flash around you're going to die and it's like terrible and maybe you cry and you listen to like suede for a bit or something ah and then you're like oh all right then it yeah. wasn't as bad as it, you know, it's okay. It's okay. And, and so I feel like there's a bit of that. I mean, obviously for people who've lost people, um, you know, or I'm hearing more and more about people who are actually in intensive care and have come out the other side, you know, it's like, Oh God, that's, that's crazy. Like that's the crazy end of it. But I think for the majority of us, you know, we've, we've been staying at home, but it is difficult. Like if you're in a tower block in Radford, you know, if you're living in that tower block in Radford next to Asda, it's very difficult, different to somebody living in West Bridgeford, isn't it? With a nice garden and yeah. la, 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 la. And, and I think it's, it, we, the, the class thing has been massive, hasn't it? You know, you know, I could work from home. That's great. But, you know, the postman still had to go out every day. The bin men were still, or bin people, post people were still going out every day, you know, nurses and care workers. So it really showed that, some of us don't have as many choices as others and and that's kind of hard to take as a society isn't it i think that's yeah. interesting. that i think that's and maybe there's something that hasn't had the focus uh, that it that it deserves it's definitely mm. been that and you know how they've talked about um you know minority groups having higher rates of of people getting the virus as you yeah. say, and a lot of that ties up in the fact that a lot of the, those minority groups will have been in uh, in work where they couldn't work from home. They will have been working in factories and, you know, low income work, work where they have had to carry on. So they've been more, they've had, you know, high levels within refugee communities where they probably having to use public transport more yeah. because they don't have to. So, it's like I say, there's, it's definitely, I know they've said, you know, a virus doesn't, isn't prejudice, but society means that its impact is, even yeah. if the virus isn't, because like you say, you know, some people have been able to lock away, some people flew off to their islands, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, and like you say, I mean, I consider myself pretty lucky in that, you know, I've got a home, I've got a garden. Yeah. And so the kids can go on. There's, we've got nice areas around here that we could go for a daily walk. And I could work from home, uh, which not everyone, my partner wasn't able to work from home. Um, so if I hadn't been able to, that would have been even work, you know. And there are going to have been people that either have had to not work at all or have had to still go out. Um, and putting the health at risk just to keep putting food on the table 
So yeah, yeah. It's, it's not been, it's not, it doesn't affect everyone the same in that sense. No, no. People have had some difficult decisions to make, haven't they, about what they're going to do. And also just like you said, oh my God, the children aren't at school. Like I have a daughter, like a daughter, one person and she's 12. So she's kind of quite self-sufficient. And, you know, there was a bit of handholding with the schoolwork at first, but she has a computer that she can just sit down at. Mm. You know, she, you know, people have got, like one of my clients had four children and, and she has enough money to go out and buy four computers just off the bat. You know, lots of people weren't able to do that. So it's also going to make the divide bigger, maybe if some kids have been able to keep learning during that time and others just haven't had the resources that they need. And it wasn't that great anyway, even if you had the resources. So God only knows. But I think my daughter's been having a great time. She doesn't want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't want to go back to school if I can see my friends, which she can do now. You know, yeah. she's like, Why would I want to go there? So it might be really hard to make go back. It's like, get back into this institution where you've just been, I don't know, having a nice time and fanning around for most of the time playing. So, yeah, yeah. there's definitely been a, a difference, and I think in, in that, in terms of age groups, like, say, older children. So, two of my children are at senior school, and like, so yeah. that they they just got on yeah you know got on with it uh, my eldest especially seemed to quite enjoy a lot of it you know he was doing it every day even you know I, I at times I was even having to say look you can't <laughs> be down looking I'm looking at the clock saying you know if you was at school you'd be home by now and he's still doing it but then I, my seven-year-old it we just didn't work at all really it was very <laughs> difficult particularly anything that wasn't creative yeah um, but the other issue there as well was my oldest children obviously they these days they know they have they've got mobile phones they were still keeping in contact with their friends yeah and my sure. seven-year-old hasn't so he's really missed that he's not able to yeah. keep in touch with his friends in the same to the same degree as as older children are yeah, if my daughter had been a year ago, she would have been at junior school and she didn't have a phone then and it would have been really difficult mm. because it's been really nice that she's like had little chats with her mates and they've been chatting on WhatsApp and this, that and the other because we need each other, don't we? We need people. We're really sociable, um, you know, human beings. That's why you're doing this, isn't it? I'm going to get on there, I'm going to do a yeah. podcast, I'm going to chat to people. That's fun. Like what stories are out there in Nottingham that I can draw out and share with other people? Like it's a really lovely thing that you're doing. You know, we, we, we are generally like that as humans, aren't we? We need, yeah. we need each other. So I suppose your seven-year-old will enjoy going back to school then. He's definitely looking forward to it. <laughs> Not sure about the old, it might, I think the older <laughs> one would have, you know, he's, he's going into, I think, year 10. Right. No, I think he'd have quite happily done the rest of his school life on a computer. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, I mean, it's going to be interesting actually to see um, whether this has any impact on the way schools and universities teach. Um, I spoke to a university professor last week and it's very interesting, obviously, because I think there's been calls in the past about more, you know, online lectures and streaming and then it's been effectively forced on them now so yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what kind of changes we see to the education going forward now that they've shown what can be done and also what problems it causes and um, where it does fall down massively which it does in certain part you know certain areas obviously 
I mean, for me, I've been enjoying like online learning. There's a website called, um, what's it called? Future Learn. Yeah. And I've done a few courses with some universities in Australia. And <laughs> then I've like on another one called Coursera, I'm doing like the science of well-being at Yale University. And it's great because there's, there's the, like the lecturer sat on an armchair and then all the students, then the students were asking questions and it kind of does feel like you're there a little bit like, oh my God, I'm learning with Yale students like from America. It's like amazing. I'm so geeking out. Um, but there is access to so much stuff because of the internet. But I, I, I hope that like the arts and stuff doesn't suffer because they're probably not going to let you play woodwind instruments, are they now? And poop, pooping on a poop, what are they not called? Not anytime soon, no, I don't. Not the whistle, the thing that everybody had to play. Oh, in recorder. The, the recorder, yeah, yeah remember oh. that. Everybody had a <laughs> bloody recorder. You know, and I don't know, like drama and dance, like those kind of things, you know, it's, it's great to be good at maths and science and English, but I think those creative things are really important for kids you know to expand their creative you know we need to be creative because who knows what the future will bring that's like one of the primary things so I hope that doesn't suffer too much and they find ways to teach those subjects and it's not just sit down on your four before square and don't stand up and just yeah. you know it could get quite dull couldn't it if they're not imaginative hopefully it's, they'll be imaginative yes and it's always they tend to be the ones that get hit first don't they I mean I think I've already seen that they've said that you know poetry is no longer a requirement <laughs> so you know, I don't yeah. know come on we need that stuff don't yeah, we well, like, yeah. different ways of thinking or doing stuff and well, you know for kids that get bored easily you know how are they going to sit down for hours and not you know be able to run around at break time and stuff yeah. like that like it, it only suits a really small fraction of people this sitting and learning thing you know I'll be yeah. like singing or, you know, <laughs> chatting. I was always chatting at school, like, Debbie, shut up, shut up. Like, all my things are like, talks too much. Oh, God, I, I wouldn't want to yeah. go to school again anyway. I don't know that I'd want to... I'm an adult. <laughs> I don't know that I'd want to be a primary school teacher at the moment trying to... I mean, I don't think that I'd want to be one anyway. But, but <laughs> try. I, I mean, how you try and enforce any of this to five, six-year-olds, I've no <laughs> idea. I mean, little firecrackers aren't they yeah well and when they've not seen friends for six months yeah the f literally the first thing any of them kids are going to do when they walk through the gate is run up and hug each other surely yeah. and i don't know who's going to stop them i wouldn't want to get in the way i've seen that first thing. <laughs> so um, so obviously your your work focuses on business so i'm, I'm interested what whether you think what impact you think this is going to have in terms of businesses moving forward because I think there's definitely and you mentioned it earlier about we've looked at you know the need for traveling for meetings now and we're obviously seeing more and more talk about it showing companies how they can be more flexible in terms of remote working and working from home so do you think we're going to see more of a shift obviously there are certain sectors that that just isn't going to be feasible for as we've said you know but do you think we're going to within these sort of I guess the the office base particularly right we're going to see more of a move I think towards. so I think so my daughter's dad works for a charity in Nottingham city centre and they're just getting rid of their offices and they're working from home from now and I think BT said that they're not going to have a lot of office staff and as somebody's kind of worked for myself for like seven seven eight years it did feel odd if I accidentally ended up in rush hour traffic you know because if I'm driving to a meeting and like I don't know 
know, 11 or something in the morning. It's like easy. And then suddenly I'd be like, oh, I need to go somewhere at six. And I'd be like, what are all these cars doing on the road? Like, oh yeah, it's rush hour. And it just seemed really weird. And, you know, the forest fires are burning and the, we need to, you know, save the planet. So I think that would be a good thing. But what, what will that mean to all these offices? You know, maybe they'll have to change into spaces for people to live in you know for, for housing and this type of thing and i think i think it will change the high street as well um but maybe that will be for the better you know i love i love a good independent shop and a lot of town centers have got a bit identical you know there'll be a top shop and there'll be a thing don't get let's let's not get rid of john lewis though i would cry i love <laughs> a john lewis it's so it's so comforting in there it's so lovely um i think i think things will change but maybe i'm hoping that you know there's space for smaller independence to grow and make city centers a more interesting place for people to visit and go to and and that might change a little bit um i, I think the recession isn't good is it like, no, no, that's I, I don't think that's good, you know, for spending money. And my neighbor across the road works at Marks and Sparks, and they said today that they're getting rid of, I don't know, 1,600. I'm yeah, making up some thing. people today, like, uh, oh my god, that many people. Um, and that must be scary if you're losing your job. And what are you going to do now? You know, what are you going to, what are you going to do now? What are you going to retrain as? Um, so I think we're in for a rough ride, but we've got to keep hopeful haven't we and and i i do think some of the changes that are coming in would have happened anyway like i think dry, everybody driving to work at 9am and coming home at six was pretty redundant and just yeah. seemed stupid um you know flying for a meeting for two hours seemed crazy um sometimes the high streets were quite boring um but the this like you said the speed of the change is quite destabilizing um yeah i don't really have that many predictions <laughs> i think you know as business owners what what we can do is just make sure that we've got great products that people need you know keep looking what do people need how can i serve my clients um how can i create things that is relevant you need to stay relevant don't we as business owners and i think that's that's the main thing um and be hopeful yeah it's, it's interesting as well though because obviously there are there are obviously benefits to to working from home both for the employer and the employee yeah. um but then the, on the other hand i think you talked about obviously you know we're a so you know we're a social species and you lose an element of that because i i mean i i quite like working from home to a degree um it's been yeah. very difficult obviously during this period and I'm not used to working from home intensely non-stop as opposed to sort of Choosing. a couple of days a week. Yeah, when I choose. But I have missed, um, obviously, the, the vibe around the office, the mixing with the people in the office. And, and to a degree that, you know, just being able to call someone over for help rather than trying to do it online. But yeah. then another thing, obviously, is, is keeping an eye on your employees' well-being when they're not in an office because one of the big problems obviously is once you blur the home and workplace making sure people separate the two and don't sit there and carry on working like yeah. all hours of the night just because they're there which people do 
and you know there may be occasions you have to but it's people have got to make sure that work balance work-life balance doesn't disintegrate or if if this becomes a more common thing yeah I totally get all that like I've kind of been through that because when I first started my business it was lonely and I was like I'm in a box room is this any good look at this copy I've just written is it shit is it good does anybody care you know I had all that going on and it was kind of lonely and so um with two other women we set up a thing called the blue stocking society where we got together once a month with female entrepreneurs and there's a Facebook group and we can chat and I did that because it's lonely so I've kind of gone through that I think and now I'm quite at peace with working from home but I know that it's a massive step change if that's not normal uh for you to do that um and I mean, what about office romances? How are they going to happen? You know, and kissing at the Christmas office party. And I don't know, just, yeah, just chatting about stuff that's a bit irrelevant when you're making a cup of tea. Like you yeah. do miss out on that, on that kind of stuff, don't you? But I wonder if businesses will hire, you know, maybe there'll be more away days or more like company, let's get together. Let's, let's hire a meeting space for an entire day and just come together and have that connection and and maybe you'll be doing that and rather than feel like oh, i should be working i'm skiving maybe it's just a day for that connecting so i suppose yeah. the best business but not all businesses will be good <laughs> but yeah. i suppose the best businesses will try and bring in some element of that to to bring people together and maybe have online groups where their workforce can go and chat and and be together but also you know not everybody's home life is great are they some, no, people, that's another thing, yeah. some people really want to go to work you know because they don't you know they're in a domestic abuse situation or their kids are really annoying you know you go to work to escape from your family <laughs> like you know that's the thing that happens to lots of people so it doesn't definitely doesn't suit everybody does it um i do i do need to go and meet my mates you know and get away from my daughter and my partner like you know, let's go. It's not like a teenager. It's like, let's go meet in the park and have a tinny. <laughs> like after work, you know, it's, there's a lot of park based alcohol things happening. Like when I was 15 and 16. Um, so that's odd being an adult and, and doing that. But I think, yeah, meet, meet your mates. But that's when online comes into its own, isn't it? Because we can meet up with people and, and do stuff. The world is changing. I don't know whether it's for good or bad. I just think it was going this way anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I guess, gotta be adaptable. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I've said a few times is I I wonder what would have happened if this had have been, you know, twenty years ago, because that you know there would have been no ability to do school from home. There'd have been very little working from home. Um, if this had happened when I was at school, there's there's no way. I would have been able, we would have been able to do school. It would have had to have been packed sent out in the post, <laughs> things like that. So, I, you know, we, you know, we have to be grateful for the, the technology that we've got at the moment that has allowed, you know, a much, not, not everyone and obviously at a, a different pace, but has allowed things to at least keep moving and not come to a complete standstill and has allowed when a time when we've been stuck inside, at least you have had a social outlet. Um, yeah, yeah, although those Zoom parties got quite boring at the end, didn't they? <laughs> like I remember at the beginning, me and my friends were like, let's get on the Zoom call every Friday night. And then each Friday, <laughs> less and less people would yeah. arrive. There'd just be two of you and you'd be like, this isn't really fun anymore, is it? You know, I'm just going to uh, sit on my own and drink. <laughs> <laughs> it wore off quite 
it wore off quite quickly. Um, yeah, but let, we need to keep chatting and having a nice time. Yeah, excellent. So obviously, like I think it's it's fairly obvious that it's a um, it's an un, a somewhat unknown, slightly worrying, but a little bit intriguing path ahead. Uh, as you said, obviously, it's got it's going to be this isn't going to go a case of once the virus is under control we move on because I think the the economic impact of this is probably generational at least yeah. so it's a long road ahead um but I think all we can do is is follow it like you said it's, it's almost impossible to predict I mean we you can't even predict at the minute whether we're we're gonna all be back in lockdown in a few months time so it's no good looking further ahead uh, than that. Yeah, and all you're doing is just future forecasting and worrying, isn't it? Yeah, you're, like, gonna, you're gonna just make yourself ill, aren't you? If you do, yeah, that. it's like, am I okay right now? Yes, have I got food in the cupboard? Yes, is it sunny? Kind of like, is am I all right right now? Everything's fine, and it's just that focusing on that on the now, isn't it? Like, just being a bit mindful of, of where you are. Because, I mean, the future might be amazing. It might be great. It might be terrible. It might be a mixture of the two. But we don't know. So just, just you know, if you're okay now listening to this, uh, we both look like we're all right, then we're all right, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, well, we, I mean, obviously, it's, it's a rough time for people and a lot of people. But, you know, we have a tendency to get through these things, don't we? You know, history yeah, suggests I mean, we, we generally, something like this, we generally come out of the other side a better society so that's something to hope yeah it's like i said at the beginning like i had cancer and my daughter was one year old and i was a single parent and it was just me and her and i had six months of chemotherapy and you know there were points at that where that was like this is the worst case scenario you know i could die and i've got a one-year-old what the how am i gonna cope with this yeah. but the, what got me through that was like well what can i learn from this how can I find a little bit of joy every day? Like, even when it's really, you know, terrible, who can I ask for help? Like, how can I use my community around me? I think even when things are really terrible, you can find like moments of, of niceness and, 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 you know, and, and things to hang on to. I was writing an article today about how to smile in the face of adversity for some online magazine. And I told the story, there's a, uh, a guy called Viktor Frankl, who was a Aus, no, he wasn't in Auschwitz, but anyway, he was in a concentration camp. And um, he wrote a book about like um, man's quest for finding purpose in their life. I can't remember the title, I've got the worst memory ever. Um, but, you know, his thing was like, if we can find some sense of purpose and have some sense of hope, then we can get over extraordinary things. And this concept that you can't change what's happening outside. Like, I can't change what you're gonna say to me. I can't change what happens on the news. You know, I can't change the weather. I, my partner might leave me tomorrow. I can't change that. You know, my daughter might get run over on the walking home. I can't change that. But what I have got control over is, is myself and that there's great strength in that. And I think when there's people who've been through, you know, terminal illnesses or concentration camps and wars and they can come out the other side with some knowledge and learning and have kept themselves sane like all things are available to us aren't they as human beings it, it it's that it's that you can't control all these external factors all i can control is is how i feel about them and yeah you can go you know 
having cancer, I cried a lot and it was terrifying and sad, but I didn't allow myself to fall in that hole of doing that all the time. Yeah. I went, where is the fun? You know, where can I find joy? Where's the meaning? What can I, how can I come out of this as a better person? And I think if we focus on that, each of us individually will find the ride um, a lot smoother. Excellent. Oh, I think that's a very, very wise word. <laughs> I think we're, uh, I mean, we're, I think we're, we're generally pretty, we're, we're pretty tenacious. And, uh, you know, like I say, we've, like, you know, we've, we've lasted quite a long time so far. Um, we know, well, I think we know <laughs> whether we know where we're headed because we've destroyed the environment. But, um, I think, as like I say, as a species, we, we tend to get through these things. Um, and like I say, history suggests usually we come out a better society than when we go in. And I think, you know, if you look back in, in history, that tends to be the way it's gone. Yeah, sure. So, um, before I wrap things up, obviously, the, just quickly, I wanted to uh, let people, if you can let people know the best places they can sort of follow your work, find out more about you. And obviously, if there's any uh, businesses that want to, maybe drop you a line to, to find out more or the best places to find you. Uh, yeah, online. thank you. Thank you, Darren. Uh, so um, I, my business is called Debbie Duda and that's about Debbie and then D-O-O-O. There's three O's, D-A-H. Um, and it's Debbie at debbiduda.co.uk. It's www.debbiduda.co.uk. And I'm at Debbie Duda on all the social medias. Um, so yeah, please come and please come and uh, find me, check me out, have a conversation, connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook. Um, I love you know meeting and connecting with new people. So it'd be lovely to you know hear from some of your listeners. Brilliant. And um, quickly then, before I go, is there a story behind the name, or did you just think that sounds really cool? The Debbie um, Doodah name. <laughs> my my first boyfriend when I was like fifteen used to call me Debbie Doodah. Uh, so it kind of just stuck uh, yeah. a bit. But um, my Twitter handle, when you know, when that uh, charity said, "Do you know anything about Twitter?" and I went home and I created a Twitter handle. I hadn't made up a business name then. My business was called Herd Media when I first launched it. So I called myself Debbie Duda, um, and people around Nottingham just kept calling me that. <laughs> so when I relaunched as a coach, I just thought, "Let's just go with that." It sounds ridiculous. It's very memorable. Nobody will forget it. Yeah. So um, Debbie Duda, it is. That is a, it's a good job you chose that then, isn't it? Because I think a lot of a lot of people picking names uh, when they first set up things like Twitter and that maybe don't you know <laughs> you don't know what that might mean moving down in ten yeah. twenty years time. Same email addresses, the amount of people that you know set up hotmail addresses with what they thought was a funny name, and then when they yeah. put it on their CV at, at eighteen, they're thinking, ah, I shouldn't have used that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have used Mister Love Handles or whatever. <laughs> so it's at least it was a name that. Oh yeah, um, but it, but like you say, it's it again. It's that thing, isn't it, about making your brand, making your brand there, keeping it all connected and. Yeah, and standing yeah, out from stand, the crowd. Yeah, which it definitely does. I mean, it's you know, it's obviously the first thing you notice, and it it's not a name you forget. I don't think it's doing its job then thank you brilliant well good luck with everything um and thank you for asking me on darren it's been a no pleasure problem. chatting to you yeah, it's been really fun thank you it's been great so thank you very much okay bye, bye.
So a massive thanks there to Debbie Clark or Debbie Dudar for chatting to us. Uh, some fascinating insights into you know the, what impact the virus has had on uh, particularly entrepreneurs and small business. Uh, it, it was great to get some thoughts there on what might happen going forward in terms of homework and what it might mean for the city. Well, obviously, that's something we're seeing a lot of. There's been a lot of talk about the impact homeworking is having on uh, you know major cities and businesses there. Um, I think there's the underhanded, you know, not being mentioned is the impact it's having on uh, on the possibility of uh, office buildings within areas, many of which are, I guess, owned by uh, quite powerful people who have the ear of quite powerful people. But there you go. But also, you know, many are coming back on that and talking about obviously there is an impact on city centres when people aren't there, but home working then rises the possibility of towns that have for a long time fallen into decline are they going to see an increase if people are working from home are they then are we going to see new cafes and shops and things opening in in outer city towns and things like that and communities who knows what the future holds but you know many businesses will be looking at what this means moving forward um you know many will want staff back in Many will still be keeping stuff at home. I think we'll see a, a big shift to where people are no longer, companies are no longer having full staff complements in at all times, and people will, I guess, split their week, working part at home and part uh, in the office. But who knows? And obviously, we still don't know what that means in terms of a second wave and things like that moving forward, particularly as winter and flu seasons and that. But it's uh, It was great to get Debbie's insight on that. It was great to find out more about the work she does and how she got into that and things like that. So it's a fascinating chat. Hopefully you all enjoyed it. Uh, next week's episode, we're talking to Lee Walker, who is director of The Nottingham Project. Now, I'm sure you've all heard of The Nottingham Project, which is the this huge sort of uh, project as I said, to, to look at the future of Nottingham moving forward and what it needs uh as you'll find out in the episode, it was actually something that's been long in the planning, so it was actually a pre-virus um, project initiation. But obviously that's played a huge impact in what they're looking at, and it's brought together a huge collection of people from in the Nottingham community. You know, um, people like Greg Nugent, who was part of the 2012, uh, the 2012 Olympic uh, Organising Committee, he's chair of it. Vicky McCure, BAFTA winning actor, is uh, vice chair. People like director Shane Meadows, uh, Jared, a former guest from the show from Left Lion, is on there. Sandy Mahalu is director from the City of Literature, who's also previously been on the show, is a part of it. Uh, And, you know, people from the, we've got representatives from, I think, the Playhouse, uh, Nottingham Street Food Organisation. Uh, various other organisations that all come together to help, you know, plan the future for Nottingham. Uh, so it was great to talk to Lee about that, what the plans are. A lot There was a lot of discussion about, obviously, the, uh, the situation regarding Broadmarsh, which has become almost forefront in terms of, obviously, we've seen, you know, into his administration, that going back into the council. Uh, there's been a lot of talk recently about the the sort of unwelcoming sight of Broadmoor, particularly the way, you know, the entrance of the 
reopen. Uh, that's a fascinating project, and it was great to talk to Lee about that and how that's going. So that's next week's episode. Uh, we're, we're working on more. You know, hopefully it won't be too much longer till we can get back to recording in our whole, you know, face-to-face style. But at the moment, we're still recording uh, remotely via Zoom. But hopefully, you're enjoying these episodes. Um, you, you're bearing with a few sort of technical issues and things like that. We have. Um, we're trying to work on making the show better and better all the time. But thank you for for listening in. Hope you enjoyed the show, and hopefully you'll be back next week. Please do let people know where they can check out the show. You know, it's available ngdigital.podbean.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts from. It's always available. Please share it with your friends. Please review it. Please let us know what you think. We're on Facebook at uh, ng digital. We're on Twitter at ng digital UK. So do get in touch with us. We'd love to hear what you think. We'd love to hear you. You'd like to hear on the show, and any you know any things you'd like us to do episodes on. So that's it for this week. Thank you very much for tuning in. We'll be back next week with Lee Walker from the Nottingham Project. For now, that's it, and goodbye.